Hebrews chapter number 12. Go to the end of the chapter, beginning verse number 28. The Bible says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to come to your house tonight. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to stand up and preach. Lord, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. Use this unworthy vessel. Lord, fill me with yourself. Lord, I pray that you'd pour me out to the uh, education, to the betterment, to the edification, Lord, of your people tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our pastor as he's traveling. Give him traveling mercies. Lord, we ask if there's anyone here in the service tonight, Lord, that needs to draw closer to you, that needs to get saved, Lord, that needs to rededicate their life, whatever their need may be, Lord, tonight I pray that they'd settle that on the altar with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but if we were to go back a little bit, the chapter's dealing with the Israelites and Moses as they were led out of Egypt and how the Israelites as the Bible calls them, were as hard-hearted and stiff-necked people. They were rebellious in their heart against God. Do you find just a few days after they were led out of Egypt, they were already breaking off the golden earrings in their ears, making an idol towards God, or against God, towards their own God, so that they could be in control of it. Right? That they could set the rules. They could make the mandates. They didn't want the God that shook the mountain when he talked. They didn't want the God that when he showed up that it looked like thunderings and lightnings and a storm descended upon the mountain. They didn't want that God. They wanted a God that was small enough that they could put him in their pocket and control everything that it was that he did. Well, the Bible makes the comparison, the writer of Hebrews does in chapter number 12. He said what they received was a kingdom after this world. What they received was just rocks, Mountains, dirt, a couple of plants. You know, God blessed them. They multiplied. He promised Abraham that his descendants would be as the number of the stars. Right? God blessed them, but what they got was just land. Was it special land? Yeah, because God called it the promised land. God promised it to them. That's what made it special. There wasn't anything special about the dirt. You want to know why Israel was prosperous? Because God promised that he'd prosper them. You want to know why Israel was blessed? Because God said that he'd bless them. You want to know why you as a child of God today are blessed? It's not because of where you work. It's not because of who you know. It's not because of how smart you are or because of how hard of a worker you are. You're blessed because God chose to bless you. And that's the only reason. God took dirt and made man. You think that he can't take whatever he leads you and turn it into the you know valley that Sodom and Gomorrah was before he destroyed it? book of Genesis calls that valley it said that it likened under the very garden of God Lot saw it and said that looks just as good as the garden of Eden you'd have to be stupid not to want to go down there and live right it made sense to the carnal man we don't have time to get on Lot let's get back here to Moses Okay. but the children of Israel all they got was dirt that dirt wasn't any different than any other dirt other than God said I want you to have that dirt everything that they built on top of that dirt was made through the power and through the effort of man's hands. Right? Solomon's temple, as great as it was, it was still a human edifice. Right? It was still destructible. But how do you know that, Brother Jordan? Because there's only one wall of it left to this day. Where's the rest of it? It was destroyed, raised to the ground, torn apart. Because what man makes, man can unmake. Right, we trust in the arm of flesh, and what do we find? It's going to fail you. Right. Don't care how good of a mason worker you are, eventually them bricks are going to need some working on. Sure. There might be some cracks that show up in the mortar. Right? Rain does have an effect on things. It erodes them. Okay, especially around here, you live under all them jet trails. Guess what? You're going to have black marks all over your house. Right? That's just exhaust and fuel coming out of those jets. Just happens. Right? Nothing that we have is permanent. This chapter refers to them as things that can be shaken, things that can be destroyed, things that can be upset. Well, it talks about God sending those shakings. In Moses' time, he did it on the mountain. 
God said nobody but Moses is allowed to go on that mountain, including animals. Amen. He said any animal touches it, you either kill it or you shoot it through with a dart, or in this case an arrow, right? Whatever you want to call it, javelin, whatever. If anything gets close to it, kill it. Because for the time being, that's holy ground. They weren't even on the mountain, but yet the ground underneath of their feet was shaking. They felt like they was in the middle of one of them California earthquakes. And what did it do? It unsettled them. They didn't like it. Because they thought that they was going to go into a land that was, you know, the promise that we'd find later on, it was laying flowing milk and honey. They brought back a bushel of grapes that was so heavy it took two dudes to carry it. Like God is good to that land. They thought everything's going to be fine. We're going down to where everything's loaded, man. We're not going to have to work for anything. I can get grapes the size of my head. If you've got grapes the size of your head, you're pretty set. Amen. Right? They're thinking, we got to squeeze all the grapes that they had down, all the olives and everything. They're thinking, how much juice do you think you can get out of one of them suckers? We're not going to have to work as much. They're thinking about the temporal. And then what happens? God shows up and he shakes them and shows them the spiritual. God literally shook the mountain. But what he was doing was he was shaking the foundations of their heart. Amen. And then later on, verse number 25, it says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him when he spake on earth. What are they talking about? When he came down and he talked to Moses on top of the mountain. When God with his very finger reached out and touched stone and wrote down the original commandments. Go study that. You really want something to blow your mind? It said that it was written all the way through so that you could see through it, but yet when you flipped it over, it said something different. It had to be an act of God. And with God's very finger, he wrote onto those tablets what God said at the beginning of, this is what God says it takes to be acceptable. And what did it do? It shook the foundations of their heart. What happened to them that refused him? Well, the first batch, Moses came down off the mountain and he wanted to kill them like God wanted to up on the mountain. He threw down them tablets. What happened? They shattered. Because the heart of Israel would not turn towards God, they lost the very thing that God had put his finger on. They didn't get to see him much longer after that. You'll find that the Ark of the Covenant was made. They went in there. It was meant to stay sealed. The thing that God had touched was had to be put away because they would not receive it. Well, Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And those that were on the Lord's side, guess what happened to them? They lived. Those that weren't on the Lord's side, they died. Right. Yeah. To see, ye, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refuse him when he spake on earth... Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. When God spake in the final revelation of God's plan, which was what? Christ. The fulfillment of the law. The one that came and made all things as they were to be. Removed all the barriers between you and God. It says that God, when he spake that time, didn't just shake the earth, he also shook heaven. You do realize that the Bible says that the angels look in unawares on this thing? There are angels in heaven today that still don't understand why Christ left, why God thinks you're special, or what you're doing. What's, he's shaking their foundations too. They don't get it. That's why there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Because the angels don't get it. They praise because that's what they were made to do. But the rejoicing, that comes from those that know him. The ones that understand what's going on. Well, we get down. Verse number 28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. What do the Israelites get? They got dirt. They got a kingdom that God allowed them to build with their hands. And guess what? Hands undid it all. We're not getting a patch of dirt. 
We're not getting something that can be touched by not only man's hands, but where mold and the moth can't get to it. That things of this world that we understand and we've just become used to, they can't touch and they can't corrupt what we're going to get. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He's saying, as much as the Israelites were excited to receive the promised land, and it took 40 years for that generation that wouldn't believe God to die off in the wilderness before they could receive it. As excited as they were to move into their new home, God knew that once they got it, they still had to work the land. They still had to defend it against the enemies. God knew that it was not going to be a perfect place, a Eden, if you will. It's still a part of the world. And whether by Israel's actions or by the actions of others or the actions of God himself, he knew that that promised land that they would receive was going to be shaken a whole lot. You know why God allowed that to happen? So that the Israelites would learn that their faith ought not be in what they can see, but what they cannot see. He says, now you've received, you've received the adoption of sonship, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. Amen. You've received not only adoption, you were born into the family. There's already a spot reserved for you at the marriage supper of the Lamb, so you can be married into the family. God's making you a part of the family three ways to prove to you that no man can undo it. Amen. They didn't just say, I'm going to add you to the family. one No, you got all three. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? You've got something that can't be shaken, can't be moved, can't be rattled. God says he's rattling heaven and earth. Why? So that you can know when it rattles in heaven and doesn't come falling down that his word was true. You could say a building's earthquake proof until what? An earthquake hits. Then we're going to find out. You could say that something's fireproof. It don't matter until you set fire to it and we can see if it's fireproof. You could say that the airbag's going to go off in a crash, but until you have a crash, you don't find out if the airbag's going to come out. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? I'm saying that God in this chapter says because we've received something better than the promised land. In God's eyes, you're already there. You have received it. He sees you as you will be. You've already got the fullness of God. He's just waiting on... Your spirit down here to catch up with the body that he's got prepared for you. Because you've received all that and more, half of it hasn't been told. Amen. He says, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That word grace here does not refer to the grace of God although it certainly does you can't live for God without grace from God but what he's saying is let us live with grace meaning let us be graceful in the way that we live as Christians because what you've got is better than anything in this world you ought to live like what you've got is worth having not saying look down your nose at people but if somebody gives you something that's dear and precious to you people can tell by the way that you live that it means something to you Right, somebody may have bought a grandkid, one of them like brass rings that actually looked like gold, right? I remember I had one. It had the Mickey Mouse head logo right in the middle of it. Worst day of my life when I got too big and it wouldn't fit on these hot dog fingers anymore. Where's it at? I don't know because I couldn't wear it anymore. They gave it to somebody else. But that was precious to me. How much did it cost? Not much. But even as a kid, they said, if it means something to you, you got to go in there and put it in the jewelry box. Well, why? I want to wear it. No, if you go put it in the jewelry box, it's going to be there when you want to wear it. Because right. if you take it off and leave it all around, it could end up anywhere. Right? That was before they realized how scatterbrained I can get sometimes when all I'm doing is focusing on this. And I'm like, I put it right there, but I put it there like four weeks ago, and now I don't know what happened to it. But if it's precious to you, it's got a special place. You don't only keep it safe, you also 
shine it. You make sure that it's fit to wear. So that when you're out, if somebody asks, oh, hey, what's that? Well, let me tell you about it. Somebody gave me this. Special to me. It's not special because of what it is. It's special because of who gave it to me. They knew that I liked this, and they went out of their way to give it to me on purpose so that I could have it because they knew that it would make my life a little bit happier. But we didn't get the corrupted inheritance. We didn't get something that was already broken. No, we have the everlasting paradise that God has set up. It says, for if I go to prepare a place for you. He's working on it right now. Amen. For you. What's he working on? A place that you can spend all of eternity with God without interruption, without interference, and without anything getting in the way. Amen. What's it going to be? Perfect. Sure. Why? Because he's perfect. Abraham was looking for a city for, that was what? Whose builder and maker was God. We've got that promise. It's a city that man can't even dream of. John ran out of words when he was trying to describe it because he was limited by things that we know to describe things that God's made. You know what I got the impression of? It's pretty perfect. Amen. How perfect? Altogether lovely, just like him. It's a city where you get to receive the fullness of your salvation for all of eternity. Can't be shaken. But, keep in mind, verse number 27, this world, yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. As I read this verse, the picture that comes to mind is that of sifting wheat when wheat comes off of the plant it's wrapped in this thing called chaff and you can't get chaff off of the wheat without beating it first you've got to break the chaff they had special instruments that they do then you got to take it up to a high place where the winds are blowing you've got to cast it into the air and the wind takes the lighter chaff away and the heavier wheat falls back down into the blanket but you have to break it in order to separate it. You want to know if something will stand up to pressure? You got to put it under a pressure. You got to test it. But how do you know that it's weak? Because when we beat it, it didn't fall apart like the chaff did. When we put it through its paces, it didn't give in like chaff does. Why is God still causing shakings and thunderings and utterings in this world today to prove that what he put in your life is solid just because you're one of God's chosen we're talking about Israel and Moses here just because you're one of his chosen doesn't mean that you get out of all the problems no you get shaken just like everybody else so that they can see you're on the solid rock you get put through your paces so that other people can see it doesn't wear out when you put it through the ringer. And he said, let us do it with grace. In verse number 28. Let us have grace. Even though the fire gets turned up hot, make it look like you're in the middle of a you know, winter snowstorm. You saying put on a false mask, Brother Jordan? No, I'm just saying it could be a whole lot hotter than hell. Yeah. When you start thinking that way, it's not as hot as you think... It was originally. We've said it. I'm built like a polar bear. You turn it up to 70, and I'm not expecting it, I'll start sweating. My body's like, whoa, hey, hold on. Things are changing. We're just going to prepare for the worst. If it got that hot that quick, it may get a whole lot hotter a whole lot quicker. Right? You walk outside, and it's 85 degrees. Oh, my gosh, it's so hot outside. Until what? You spend a little bit of time in there, and you realize, hey, it's not that hot out here. There's a little bit of a breeze blowing. That could be worse. could be raining in this hot. At least we don't have to deal with the humidity. All those things in your life, when they first happen, oh, this is the worst thing ever until what? Until you sit in it for a minute. Hot tubs are hot until you what? Get all the way in. Then your body acclimates. Then you actually find out that in the heat, God can work some things out of your life some of them pains and some of them tensions, some of those joints that don't like to move so much, you get out of the hot tub all of a sudden, 
those things limber up a little bit. Doesn't cure it. Why? So that you have to keep coming back to the hot tub. God can keep working on you. He's saying He shakes those things on earth to prove what can be shaken and what's steadfast and sure. And He does it in heaven too to prove to you that what He's put up there isn't coming down anytime soon. But He says, let us live with grace. One, because of what we've been promised. Two, what we've already received. But He says in verse number 29, keep in mind He said, we shall not escape just like the Israelites didn't escape. Everybody that's ever lived has had to deal with God shaking the foundations of their life to try and show them that His way is the right way. He says, if they didn't escape, we're not going to escape. In verse number 29, for our God is a consuming fire. When I read that verse, I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, whichever ones you want to call them. They say that when the furnace is being heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before, the guards that were just holding them boys, when the doors of that furnace came open, it killed them instantly. They didn't get to the fire. They just felt the heat of the fire and it killed them. They didn't get to the fire. They were in between the fire and Nebuchadnezzar. And they had them Hebrew boys in between them. The fact alone that them boys ended up in the furnace should have been enough of a sign that something was afoot. Because the other guys just evaporated right there on the spot. Right? Think of a... What's the word I'm looking for? Marshmallow. That's what I'm looking for. Marshmallow on a stick. You take that marshmallow, you put it on a stick, you don't have to get it into the flame for that thing to start turning black. Long before you get to the fire, the fire has an impact on whatever's getting close to it. But see, we think of small... We think candles. We think barbecue pits. We think, you know, the gas fire pits that you know make your backyard environment look pretty no we're not talking about one of them I want you to think of the hottest fire you've ever seen how hot is the fire of God because it says not that God has a consuming fire he is a consuming fire as much as God is love God is a consuming fire as much as God is your savior and he's your lord and he's a king of kings and lord of lords he's also a consuming fire as much as he's Alpha and Omega, as he is the I am that I am, he's also a consuming fire. Amen. We're not talking about a flame that you can comprehend. We're talking about something that long before you ever get close to it, long before you can ever see it, you can already start feeling the effects of that fire. Amen. So, under the thought of our God as a consuming fire, we're going to look at the life of Moses tonight and show how the closer you get to God, the more God will consume things in your life. There's going to be some shakings. There's going to be some rumblings. There's going to be some rattlings. And you come out the other side stronger for it. That's what the Lord's help. Tonight we're going to preach on consumed by God. Consumed by God. Well, where does it all start? Well, long before Moses ever started walking... An evil Pharaoh, for evil reasons, decided he wanted to kill all the young males of Israel. Right? God's fire consumed that danger for Moses. It consumed what the world wanted to do to Moses in order that Moses could endure that, that he could be delivered from it. Okay, well, you say, well, Brother Jordan, how do I relate to that? Because long before you ever existed, God knew what the devil wanted to do to you. Long before you ever knew about God or entertained God in your mind, God had already set the events in motion that would lead to you being confronted one day with the consuming fire of God's deliverance. Yeah, sure. Moses didn't have a choice, but his mama and his sister, they did what they could and they left the rest up to God. 
What are you expected to do? What you can do and what God tells you to do. Then you got to leave the rest of it to God. It's God's providence that that little ark that they made for him ended up in the, the reeds over there. Ended up in the brush. Right by the place where Pharaoh's daughter just happened to be coming along. That was all God's deliverance. Sure, they made the basket. They weaved it. They put it together. But I'm kind of partial to the fact that it might have been like that ark that Noah built. I don't necessarily know that Moses' mama or sister knew anything about basket weaving or the right materials to use or how to make it waterproof. I think when they put it in the water, it might have taken on a little bit of water. And they said, hey, we did the best we could. This is what God, this is the only chance we got. Get him on down the river. What kept that basket afloat? What kept it from tipping when it was in the waters of those rivers? What kept it from when it hit those reeds that it didn't capsize and the child end up in the water? That's all God's deliverance. The first thing that gets consumed when you come to God, if you want to get anywhere, is that you've got to admit that you're a sinner and that you accept His Son. Well, in that instant, God's delivering fire consumes all of your past. In the Old Testament, it said that He'd put it as far as the east from the west and it'd be behind His back. No, read in the New Testament. When the blood's applied, it's gone. As you draw nigh to God, when you accept Him and He accepts you and He does that spiritual surgery in your soul, guess what happens? It's gone. Throw a piece of flash paper into a fire. What happens to it? It's gone. No trace of it. You can go sifting through the ashes, but you're not going to find anything that says your name and the record of your sin. Why? Because it's gone. It got close to God. Guess what God did with it? He just consumed it. That's how God's deliverance is. You're still in this world because you was born into it. You still breathe like this world. You still have a heartbeat like this world. You've still got flesh like this world, but everything that you used to be was just gone in an instant. You say, explain that, Brother Jordan. That's part of the handiwork of God. I can't really wrap my head all the way around it. But it's got a whole lot to do with what our pastor quoted this morning. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. You know what that means? Gone. You know what happens when something's consumed in a fire? It's gone. Consumed, or consuming means it takes all of it. Nothing left. You may have had something before, and, and you know, many a times. People usually find out about a fire about halfway through the fire. And depending on the response, they may be able to salvage something. You can't salvage when God's around. If you get it into God, He's a consuming fire. It's gone. If you come down and you lay it on the altar and you actually let God get a hold of it, it's a consuming fire. There's nothing left to pick up and take back with you. Amen. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? The first thing that was consumed in Moses' life is all them dangers that kept him from being what it was that God saw him becoming. What happened? God just consumed him. In fact, isn't it just like God that the one who made the order, all of a sudden he's got a new grandbaby? You've seen how our pastor is with Ella? Wonder if the Pharaoh was the same way with little Moses. My daughter found a kid. Now I'm a new granddad. It's showing him off to everybody else not knowing that was one that he wanted to kill a few days before. What happened to all that danger and all that threat from Pharaoh and from the people of Egypt towards Moses is gone. But not only is there the deliverance that comes with God's fire. Next, there's a dedicating fire. See, Moses made a mess of things. Moses had some things in his life that God needed to get rid of. He thought he did something that nobody saw when he slew an Egyptian man. Thought he hit it. Said what? Somebody saw it. So he had to go on the lamb if he had any hope of living. But where's God get him? God gives him on the backside of a mountain in the middle of nowhere tending sheep that aren't even his. Now see, Moses' mom had raised him right. Not his adopted mama, his real mama, because she was able to become his nurse. Raised him, along with his sister, in Pharaoh's house. 
imagine, Brother Moore. It rattles my head every now and then. If Moses would have stayed where he was, who he was, how much easier or how much more he could have accomplished in a maybe shorter period of time if he was still a prince of Egypt. If he went to his grandfather in good standing and he said, hey, I want to take them people, you charge them to me, and we're going back to where they came from. Wonder how things would have shaken out a little bit different. We'll never know. Why? Because Moses decided to do something in the flesh. And it left its mark on him. Well, God gets him away from all of it. Gets him humbled. You've got a very prince of what used, used to be at that point, the greatest empire on the face of the earth. He was educated. But he was socialized. He knew the riches of all riches at that point. Lived in Pharaoh's own house. And where do you find him? On the backside of a mountain taking care of animals that don't even belong to him. They belong to his father-in-law Jethro. But he's saying God got him real low. And then one day, so get, keep in mind, what he's watching, that's Moses' life. That's all he's got. Is the kindness and generosity of his father-in-law who allowed him to take care of his father-in-law's sheep so that he might be able to do something productive, take care of him and his wife. Something happens to them sheep, it's not going to go good to Moses. Well, he's off walking in the middle of the wilderness one day with them sheep, and he sees something. And the Bible says that he turned and said, I must see this thing. Well, in order to turn, that means he had to turn his back on what he was supposed to be doing at the time. Whatever he saw was so important that he turned his back on the thing that gave him purpose in life. Without them sheep, he's not a shepherd no more. Without them sheep, his family may not make it through the winter. Without them sheep, Moses may not have something to eat later on that day. He knows that, but yet he says, I'm going to turn and take a look at that bush that's on fire, but yet it's not consumed. And then as he gets closer, that bush starts talking to him. Because from hindsight being 2020, 20, now we know that the angel of the Lord came down and sat in the middle of that bush. That's why it was on fire. Well, the angel of the Lord, what's that? That's Old Testament speak for Jesus. And you think Jesus, who's just as much a part of God as God the Father and is the Holy Ghost, what is God? A consuming fire. What happened when Jesus showed up in the bush? Bush caught on fire. Makes sense to me. But it wasn't consumed. Why? Because the Lord had his hand on it. Anything that the Lord puts his hand on, nothing's going to happen to it. But Moses, he'd start in, out of the tree. The angel of the Lord said, what? Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Moses had to make a decision at some point on the backside of that mountain that day. You know what he purposed to do? Leave everything behind. He dedicated himself to God. Well, in that dedication, you know what passed through that fire? Moses' livelihood. Moses' family. He started off with some excuses, but you find by the time that God actually gets them back down there to Pharaoh, he don't have a problem talking and saying what God told him to say. He don't have a problem showing the love to God's people. He doesn't have a problem leading. Well, what was he? Well, he used to be a prince, but he forgot all that because he became a murderer. Then he became a shepherd because that's all that he is qualified to do. He didn't know how to build anything. He wasn't a man of his hands. They would just go watch them sheep over there. All right, I can do that. What was it? He's a nobody. What's God turned him into? God turns him into the father of the law, the lawbringer, the one that even to this day Israelites revere. Why? Because of his faithfulness towards God. You know how he got there? That dedication on that day down there by that bush. Was Moses everything that he needed to be on that day? No, but he was dedicated to becoming what God wanted him to be. When you dedicate yourself to God, all your excuses, they go into the fire. Guess what? They're consumed. Moses said, I'm not eloquent of speech. Nowadays, I got a speech impediment. Maybe he had a stutter. 
Right? Well, never stop Brother Rocky Shelton. Brother Rocky sings. He don't stutter at all. Why? Because Brother Rocky didn't put that song in his heart. God did. Go think on that for a while. Anyway. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? He had a whole bunch of... Well, Lord, I'm just a shepherd. Lord, I can't do it. Lord, I killed a man down there. I go back there. They're going to want my head. They're going to want to hang me. I find when he showed back up, nobody even recognized who he was. Nobody yeah. remembered him. Why? Because his past got thrown into that fire when he dedicated his life to the Lord. Everything that Moses was holding on to, he had to let go and put it into that fire. Guess what came out of the fire? The things that God was pleased with or accepted in his life. The Lord allowed him to take his wife and his father-in-law's family with him when they went into the wilderness. They didn't lose it all, but he was willing to. Because he said, today, Lord, I'm yours. Make me as that bush. Set me on fire, but let me not be consumed. But how close did he get to God when he came back down off the mountain? He was a-glowing. Yeah. What happened? He got so close that he started heating up a little bit himself. Yeah. Moses was fine walking around with the face that was shiny. But everybody else said, put a bucket on his head. We're tired of looking at him. His wife's saying, I can't go to sleep because he's lighting up the room. The world didn't like what he became. But that didn't deter him. Why? Because he's dedicated because of that day. That fire consumed all the doubts, all the worries. Everything that Moses could throw up in front of God, God said, well, let's put that in the fire. And it doesn't hold up. It's gone. The problem with most Christians is that they never get to the point where they're willing to put everything into the fire and dedicate it all to God and say, Lord, I'm yours. Why? Because they're afraid of what they might lose. But those that put everything into the fire and say, Lord, I'm all in. That's when you just start picking up business as a Christian. Amen. What did we hear about this morning? Double-minded. Yeah. Right? Thomas, one of the twelve. You know what they called him? Didymus. You know, that means double-hearted. Double-minded. Why? Because even when he saw the Lord after, and the Lord said, put your hands, put your fingers in the nail prints, put your hand in my side. And he said, Lord, you're the Lord. He said, I don't need to do it. But after that, you don't find that Thomas ever did anything for the Lord recorded in those scriptures. Right. Why? Because even after he saw him with his own very eyes, he still had a double heart and a double mind. One that walked with him for some three and a half years. Saw him before when they took him to crucify him. He saw him after they had buried him. And he still had doubts in his mind. Why? He had never dedicated himself fully unto God. Because if you get to God, you've got to take a step closer. And guess what that fire is going to do? You say, Lord, I'm all in. You take one more step. Those things in your life. Now the heat wave is going to come and it's going to rattle them. It's going to shake them to show you what stands and what doesn't stand. But after you take that step of dedication, you get closer. Guess what you receive? You receive full satisfaction and assurance of what God's got left in your life, heaven and earth can't move it. If He gave it to you, only He can take it away. Well, then we've got next, we've got the fire of development. First development of Moses. Moses wasn't the man that he was at the end when he began. He had to grow into those things. He developed. That's God adding to him. But keep in mind, they're walking through the wilderness for 40 years, bumping up against a whole bunch of different nations and nationalities and peoples out there in the wilderness. And I'm sure it's real tempting when you've got nothing but what you can carry on your back and all the animals that you brought out of Egypt to say, Lord, let, let, we've made it far enough. We don't deserve the promised land. We're wicked. We're sinful. We're doubtful. We'll just take that little green pasture right over there. Lord, that'd be good enough. We'll be satisfied with that. And he says, no, you won't. Keep walking. You want to keep bringing things into it, but as God keeps developing you, you're going to find out them things don't pass the fire test. You say, Lord, how about this? And before you can turn back around, it's already gone. It's consumed. You realize, no, it's not worth having. 
I never find where Moses said, all right, boys, we made it far enough. Set up shop. They rested for a period. They had tabernacles that they could raise and take down and move. But I don't ever find where he said, all right, this right here, this is home base. We're staking it here and we're staying here. No, he always had his eyes on the horizon for what was next. He was looking for the road signs that said promised land this way. But God wouldn't let him see him. But it wasn't the right time yet. But if you stay close to God, all those things that you bring back and say, Lord, what about this? And then you look up and it's gone. All right, Lord, I didn't need it. Who cares how them people do things over there? I'm going to do things the way that God said to do them. But see, as a result of him growing and learning what God would accept and what God did not, ex uh, did not accept, he got some benefits that nobody else got. I find, you go study the life of Moses, that he had a developing not only in his life with man, he developed with his friendship with God. I find that in that pillar of cloud by day that he led Israel around, I find every now and then God would tell Moses to get into the tabernacle. So he'd go into the tabernacle and then God moved that pillar right over there by the door of the tabernacle. Now I find it scared the living daylights out of Joshua because he saw it and he dropped to the face of the dead man. He said, I'm not worthy to witness whatever's getting ready to happen around here. That boy had a little bit of common sense. But it says Moses just walked up to the pillar and that God spoke to Moses as face to face as a friend you know who wrote that? Moses wrote that and recorded it for history so at what point brother Adrian did God reveal to Moses I was only this far away from you you just couldn't see me because of the smoke he said I came down and talked to you right out in the middle of that pillar just like a friend would he said you couldn't see me you couldn't lay hands on me, but I was this far away from you. Moses was standing there as the very finger of God came out of heaven and wrote on them rocks. You ever been that close to the hand of God? How close does God get to you when you start talking to him and he starts talking to you back? Because Moses got face to face as a friend. What happened? His spiritual relationship developed. Eventually you get to the point where Moses is just walking around God talking to him all the time. Why? Because Moses was listening. God had to set a bush on fire the first time he wanted to talk to Moses and not let the bush be consumed just to get his attention. He had seen a brush fire before. He had never seen a brush fire that didn't spread and also didn't consume what was already on fire. Well, he's saying, Brother Jordan, that was the first time he got his attention. After that, it didn't take much to get his attention because God kept his attention. Moses developed himself to the point where he was always conscious of what the Lord wanted. Because then he had a day where he let something slip. Yeah. He developed, but he never got perfect. <laughs> then one day there was a disobedience. God said stretch forth the rod and that God would cause water to come out of the rock. What happened? Moses smoked the rock. And because of that disobedience, God's judgment as a consuming fire took something from Moses. See, we don't just get to live unaccountably. You will reap what you sow. And the man of God disobeyed God in front of all the people of God. That was a big price to pay. Well, what do you have to pay with? He didn't get to go into the promised land. He got to lead them right up to the doorstep of where God wanted to take them. And then God said, all right, it's time for you to come home. He didn't get to see it. He didn't get to lay hands on it. He didn't get to touch it. Didn't get to taste any of it. He was never satisfied with being able to go where God originally promised him that he would take him. Did God change? No, Moses changed. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? Just because today 
you're walking hand in hand doesn't mean that tomorrow you can't have everything taken from you. Because our God is no respecter of persons. He's a consuming fire. You know what fire does? It consumes. You put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, fire's going to burn you. You get out of where God says, hey, stand here. I'll remind you, Moses wanted to see God's glory. First he wanted to see his face, and he said, Moses, you can't see my face and live. He said, you can't die yet. He says, all right, Lord, that makes sense. Let me see your glory. He says, that I can do. He said, I'm going to pick you up, put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you up with my hand. What God do? God said, the fire's coming by, but I'm going to keep it from getting too hot for you. He says, if you get too close to me, Moses, you're just going to stop existing because you're in sin, cursed flesh. You're still walking, breathing in this body that was corrupted by sin. He said, it's going to melt you. You're going to be like them boys when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, even though it hadn't happened yet. God knew they'd be like them boys that tried to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. What happened to them? They's dead. Why? They got too close to the fire. Well, God says, don't worry about it. I'll cover you up with my hand. God's hand can't be consumed by God. Why? Because it's a part of him. He says, and after I pass by, after the fire's done consuming, you can look, see my hinder parts, and see my glory. He says, you can't see my face, but I'll let you get close enough where it's safe that you can see the very glory of God. What do you think he saw? I think he saw God's back and all of his glory. Why? Because that's what God said he would see. Don't think he saw his face. I mean, look what happened to Peter when he saw the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's ready to build three temples right then and there. He just got a glimpse of it. He said, I saw him just in an instant, in a fraction of what he really is. He just let the veil slip a little bit. He said, what? He said, let's go to work, boys. That's worth working for. That's worth living for. What happened? Everything in Peter that used to be a little bit different when he got a good look at the Lord, for lack of a better term, he got a look at his glory. What happened? It all disappeared. Till what? Till one day he let fear get in the way of his devotion, his dedication towards God, and what happened? He even cursed to prove that he wasn't one of the disciples. Denied him three times. Then what happened? You find Peter got down on himself. What happened? He put himself on a mountain in the middle of nowhere where he was tending somebody else's sheep. He was miserable. Then one day he says, you know what? I'm going back to what I know how to do. Let's go fishing. What happened? The Lord had already forgiven Peter. The Lord told Peter he's going to do it before Peter did it. And before he even did it, he was ready to forgive him. How do you know that? Because he was about ready to go to the cross to pay for all those sins that Peter was about ready to commit. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? Peter was out there on a boat. And the Lord showed up. After Moses had messed up, God said, you can't go into the promised land, but guess what? I'll let you be the mentor to the one that will lead them in there. I'll let you lead them and prepare them spiritually so that when they get there, they're ready to receive it. And he says, and in lieu of the promised land, I'm going to take you to a place called paradise. And in one of these days, I'm going to take you to a place called home. Amen. Moses said, all right, Lord, that'll do it. Because Moses could have been hard on himself, just like Peter was hard on himself out there. I'm sure that Moses had a moment where he was like, man, I done blew it. Aaron, you got to take over now. I done ruined my reputation. He was disobedient. But again, he found out that God was there to deliver him. And the process could start all over again. Why? Because you get it under the blood, you get it to God, guess what? It's going to either exist or it's going to go away 
I find the only thing that can stand up to God's consuming fire is gold and silver and precious gems. Well, who do you think puts those things into your life? We're stuck down here in the middle of a big old dirt ball. Everything in this world is consumable. You shake it, you rattle it, you, you know, press it, you put it under a load, guess what you're going to find? It's all breakable. What about diamonds? Put a diamond up against another diamond. Guess what? They're both coming out scratched. Nothing in this world is unmorable. So where do you think that gold, silver, and precious gems come from? God takes them from heaven and gives them to you for a while so that you can have some things in your life that are stood sturdy. That when the world shakes, they stand firm. So that when you need a place to lean, when you need something in your life, when the temperature does dial all the way up, you know those things are still exactly where God put them. You can cling to them. You can build your life off of it. And every now and then you may mess up and start building something else. Guess what? It's going to go the way of the dodo. It's going to be consumed. But God says, how about we just get back to what we started and we finish that? All right, Lord. Our God is a consuming fire. You know, that means you have to be willing to let all of it go in order to get closer. Because at the end of it all, we're not getting a bad bill of goods. You know, we get, we get Him in the place that He prepared so that you could experience the fullness of what He intended you to have the day that He saved you. You just got the earnest of the Holy Spirit now. Imagine when you get there and you could experience God in all of His glory and you, unlike Moses, unlike Peter, you can look at the very face of God and behold who He really is. That alone should blow our minds. What'd he give you? Only everything. What's he require? Just you. Well, I got to give up all this. God didn't give it to you. So why are you holding on to it? You could try and cling to it, but if you get it to God, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be consumed. All those things. Lord, well, I can't. Lord, I'm not ready. Lord, it takes more time to prepare than this, that, and the other. You get close enough to God, them things are just going to disappear. Then as you get closer, He's going to develop you. He's going to season you. Well, he's going to mature you. But at the same time, your relationship with Him should be maturing, and you should be able to say that you're closer today to God than you were yesterday. Well, you can't keep making that progress if you keep trying to hold on to things that are being consumed. Because every step you get, it's getting a little bit hotter. Why? Because God wants to set inside of you a fire ablaze that the world can't put out. He wants to do to you like he did Jeremiah, where there's a fire shut up in his bones. You know that double portion? I was thinking of this while the pastor's preaching this morning. We know Elijah had that juniper tree experience. Elisha got a double portion. I don't find where he ever backed down for a day and said, you know what, Lord, just kill me. It's not worth it. What happened? He got closer into the fire. God consumed all of his doubts, all of his worries. He said, I want to be closer to God than you were, knowing that the very man of God that he wished to be like, even that man of God wasn't perfect threw in the towel, wanted to quit. Till what? Till God sent some ravens by his way. What happened? God just turned the fire up a little bit, consumed all them doubts, and Elijah's kicking himself the next day, saying, man, how could I be so stupid? And then 39 days later, he gets to a cave where he can actually hear the very voice of God. What happened? He got closer because he got into the fire. But Elisha, I don't find that there's ever a day that the world could rattle or shake him. Why? Because he had gotten everything into the fire. He said, I want to be twice as close as Elijah was. What happened? He got twice as close. He was twice as sure that he was doing what God wanted him to do. All them things in your life that you're wrestling with, just get closer to him and it'll sort itself all out. Either it's going to be worth holding on to or it's going to be gone, one or the other. But you've got him, so who cares? 
our God's a consuming fire. We think of that in a negative sense. Oh, if we get closer to God, you're going to have to give up this, that, and the other. All you're going to have to do is give up yourself. The rest of it's going to sort all out. But our God's a consuming fire. Did he not say that if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed? Well, all them things that are holding you back, if you just get closer to God, he'll release you from them. You might still have a thorn in the flesh. But all those burdens, all those weights, all those chains that keep you enslaved every day, that keep you defeated spiritually, you know what's going to happen to them if you get closer to Him? Consuming fire. The thorn God put there. Why? To remind you that it's His strength and His grace made perfect in what? Our weakness. So that we keep trusting the fire to consume those things in our lives that ought not be there. It's a promise. And here's the real kicker. We didn't even touch on the fact that you draw nigh to God. He's also drawing nigh to you. Draw closer to Him, He gets closer to you. So you think you're only going so far, but later on you find out you got a whole lot closer than you thought you did. You made a whole lot more progress. I can't believe how close... I am to get, well, guess what? Take another step, and you're going to be amazed at how close you can get then, too. Because every step that you take, he's taking one in the direction towards you. Why? Because he wants you to be all in. He wants to be able to put you out in front of the world on display and say, you can shake it, you can try and break it, you can do everything you want to. That's been through the fire of me. People say the fire of God's judgment. No, it's just God's fire. It's not a judgment. Either it's going to survive it because God made it, or it's not. Because you know those things that are shaking, you know what they do? They prove the things that don't shake. Oh, that's what we expected. Why isn't that one moving? Unless there's things in the world that are shakable, God's shaking doesn't do much good. If everything was sturdy, shaking wouldn't matter. The world has to stay shaken by to show the disorder of man's sin, show the destruction of sin, to show the curse of sin. But you know what God desires? Just a few that He can put out there like a pillar of hope. Those city of refuge, they all had a tower right in the middle. They had a lookout. But it also helped. Because if you was running towards it, you may not be able to see the gate, may not be able to see the wall, may not be able to know how to get there, but if you can just look on the horizon and see a pillar. Pillar of hope. What's the church supposed to be? Pillar and ground of what? The truth. The truth. Lift Christ up and let Him do what? Draw all men unto Him. Be a beacon. And they say, well, they can build whatever they want to. It's not going to last when the fire rolls through. Well, the fire rolls through, and guess what? It's still standing. Seems like it's standing taller than ever. They go up and they poke at it, and they say, somehow this sucker got sturdier. Why? Because man didn't put it there. God put it there. And only God can move it. And God's not in the business of building things just to tear them down again. When he establishes something, it's for a purpose, and it's for a reason, and it's meant to endure. We say, Brother Jordan, you get close enough to God, the only thing that's going to remain in your life are those things which can endure whatever the world throws at you. He's a consuming fire. What's he consume? The things that don't matter, the things that are temporary, that are impermanent, the things that have no spiritual ramifications. What he's saying, you get close enough to them, you're going to find out real quick the things that really matter in God's eyes. All it takes is a glimpse. Just a glimpse. To stir that fire. Moses just caught that bush out the corner of his eye. Then he thought about it for a second. He said, hang on a second, I've got to take another look at that. And what happened? Every day after that, he just kept getting one step closer to God. God started removing the things in his life that he wasn't pleased with. 
And Moses was willing to let him go. Why? Because he wanted what was in that bush. What was in the bush? God was in the bush. You get a good look at them. They're going to take step after step, and you're not going to care what the fire consumes because you know that you're in him and he's in you. And the closer you get, you can't be consumed. You're just going to get more of him. And he's worth it in the end. That's it. Did you know that IBC is now on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Google Play? Head on over to your podcast provider and subscribe today. And as always, thanks for listening.